Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Today's guest is Eddie. I had so much fun interviewing him. We actually connected on LinkedIn. He sent me a message and then we did an interview together and I had so much fun getting to know his story. We talked about what it was like having his dad leave, how that's affected his relationships, how he met his wife on Tinder and how he kept on pursuing her even though she said no. And I was wondering, I asked him, I was like, why did you keep on going after her even though she kept on saying no? And we go into that. We go into how he got into motivational speaking, his tips for speaking on the stage, and so much more. So let's get started. Love to know about your story, any career changes you've had so far. How'd you get to the place you're at right now? Man, that's that's definitely a loaded question, right? Um, I feel like that's a lot that goes into that. My, so just to give you a quick background, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, in a single parent household. My dad left when I was about eight or nine years old. And it forced my mom to take care of me and my brother on a $13,000 a year disability income. And um, for those of you who don't know, that means poverty. That means no money, um, not, a, no, not a lot extra at all. And um, it, was, it was definitely different. I wouldn't say in any way, shape or form, my life was wor- like horrible, like slums of the slums. Because my mom has always taught me that no matter what, there are people out there with a worse story than you, right? So you just make the best with what you have. And, but it, it was tough. I remember I had my first job when I was actually nine years old. I sold hats and t-shirts and peanuts at the Orioles and Raven Stadium. And uh, that was the way I paid for some, you know, going back to school with some different supplies, as well as uh, all the field trips and things that we had to go on. I, I basically had to fund that myself because I, I didn't want to be a burden to my mom. I didn't want her to make her spend money that she I already knew she didn't have, right? Um, and no, no discredit to my mom. She made a lot of sacrifices to help me get to where I am today, but I just didn't want to put any more pressure on her plate. Right. Um, and then outside of that, so when my dad left, my brother became like my primary influence. Like he was, kind of, I just wanted to be just like my brother. He's five years older than me. So he kind of also stepped in to kind of be that dad type role type figure, although he was just five years older than me. <laughs> and, um, a lot of what he did, I wanted to do. So basically when he got really passionate about playing football, he started getting me outside the house. He was like, nah, bro, we're going to go outside. We're going to run routes. We were running routes in the middle of Baltimore city in concrete. I, I didn't know what grass was until I was probably, I think it was 10 to 11 years old um, because we just didn't have grass in the city. It was all concrete. Right. So um, that's a side note. But outside of that, you know, my brother, with all that influence that he had on me, I started to get this passion for playing sports in general. I mean, we used to play basketball on milk crates. We used to play baseball in the back alleys. You know, we used to all kind anything with a ball, we pretty much played it, right? Um, and then long story short, I basically went to high school with the first time I got the chance to play organized sports because I was always too big to fit like the weight limit to play in all the <laughs> like the peewee leagues and things like that. Um, so I, I had my first chance to play football when I was a freshman in high school. And long story short, I became the first male, well, the first student ever in that high school to earn a D1 scholarship coming out of that high school. And that was Chesapeake High School in Baltimore County. And um, that, that's, it's a blessing in itself. I, I'd never, I never 
I, I think I saw it kind of back then, but I never knew it was like actually going to happen. You know, one of those things like you wanted it so bad, but when it actually happened, you were just still mind blown that it was, it was happening. Um, so that was, that was a huge thing in itself. And then because of that, I became the first student or the first male in my family to actually graduate and get a degree from college. So that was, that was the beginning of what I say, um, changing my family legacy forever. Cause prior to that, we didn't have any higher educated people. We didn't have any, uh, I guess a lot of success that was built inside of my family and my family name. And that's not, again, it's not me knocking my family in any way, shape or form, but it's, it's me recognizing that the, the life that I was, that I grew up in was not the life that I wanted to live forever. Right. So I realized I wanted to start making some different decisions to set myself up in a position where my kids can have so much more than what I ever had. So I know that was a long winded answer, but uh, that hopefully that gives you a peek <laughs> into a little bit of my background. <laughs> Definitely. And when your father walked out on you guys when you were um, eight or nine, did he ever come back? What was your relationship with him like? So the crazy thing is, no, he, d- he never did. And we, still to this day, we don't even know if he's alive or if he's dead, like we have absolutely no idea. Uh, when he left, he just left. It's like he disappeared. Nobody from my mom's side of the family saw him. Nobody from my dad's side of the family saw him. Like we have no idea what actually happened to him. Um, and I can, I can just kind of shed a little bit of light because the relationship that I had with my dad was much different than what my brother had with our dad because I was only, like I said, I was probably eight or nine years old. My brother, though, was... Uh, what's that, 13 or 14? So it made a, a bigger impression on him because he's, you know, he's in the midst of transitioning in life and doing some different things. Whereas though for me, I, it's, it's, it's probably a sad statement or a loaded statement in itself, but I felt as though I couldn't miss what I never had. Because when my dad was actually in the house, he was a truck driver. So I would see him sometimes maybe early in the morning before I went to school, but he was asleep. And then when I got home at night, he was gone already. You see what I'm saying? So like for me individually, I, did, I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with him. Um, I just knew the chaos sometimes that he brought because he was, he was addicted to alcohol. He was addicted to drugs. And uh, unfortunately, he abused my mom on, on some different occasions as well. So from, me, from my perspective, the lens that I was looking through it at the age that I was, I was more so um, a little bit relieved, weirdly to say, that he left because it created less... Uh, frustration and anger in the house between my mom and dad and that relationship. Um, but I know for a fact that affected my brother in a completely different, completely different way. And what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your mom? Man, she taught, she taught me a lot of different things. Um, I love that woman. Love that woman to the fullest. I would say biggest lesson. Honestly, it's, it's what my mom taught me when I was just a young, young kid. And it's that I can be anything that I want to be in this world. I remember coming to my mom with all kinds of ideas of what, what I wanted to be, right? I don't know if you, you probably did the exact same thing. Like when you were a kid, it was like you, your imagination was through the roof. Like you could have been the president of the world one day. And then the next day you were as an astronaut. And then the next day you were something else, right? Um, and I, I would come to my mom with all kinds of outlandish stuff. Like I wanted to be the next WWE champion of the world and, <laughs> and playing in, you know, wrestling and everything else. I remember, I don't know if you remember the, the movie Brink, the Disney channel movie. It was a, it was a movie about skaters. And at one point in time, me and my niece, both, we wanted to be the next soul skaters. And it was, it's just so funny, man. When I think back on it, my mom would just encourage us all the time. She never put down my ideas. She never was just like, boy, get out of here. You ain't going to do that. My mom was just like, you know what? Her answer every single time was you can do anything. You, you can be anybody you want to be. You can be anybody you want to be. And I think that that is still in my core. Like I've heard it so many times that it, it made me realize like, okay, it doesn't matter the environment that I'm growing up in. It doesn't matter, matter the family and the hardships that we're going through right now. I can literally become whoever I want to become. Uh, it's just a matter of hard work. It's a matter of getting around the right people, the right association and developing the right mindset to, to actually be successful. Right. Um, so I love my mom to death uh, or not to death. Cause I wanted to stay alive for a long time. So I love my mom to the fullest. And um, yeah, that's, that's something that she's definitely taught me 
and I, and I hold it true still to this day. <laughs> and seeing your mom's and dad's relationship growing up and did that affect your love life or your, did they cause any blocks for your relationships? Anything you had to work through? That's a, that's a great question. I don't, I don't think it affected me in a negative way. And the reason I'm going to expand on that is because when I was a kid, I was always very observant of what's around me. And I'm still to this day, I'm, very, I'm, I'm more of like the fly on the wall, just kind of see what's happening, what's going on in, in my environment. And I, m- a lot of my success prior to me graduating college was because I made direct opposite decisions of the people that was around me when I was growing up. For example, my dad, I, told, I already talked about him abusing alcohol, abusing drugs. Prior to college, never drank any ounce of alcohol, never did any drugs, right? You know, my, my brother made some decisions, and, and, and thankfully I have nieces now because of it, but, you know, he, he had kids when he was 18 years old, right? And my mom, my mom had my sister, so my sister is actually 22 years older than me, um, which is why I don't include her in a whole lot of stories because she was already gone by the time, <laughs> by the time we were growing up. Um, but my mom had my sister when she was just 15 years old. It was because my mom was actually raped. So when you think about all these different situations, these scenarios, I never wanted to put myself in those situations. So I observed kind of the life that they were in. I observed the decisions that they made. And I realized, well, if that's, if my dad drinking causes all this destruction, all this commotion, I'm just not going to drink. If my brother was kind of held back, couldn't make a lot of different decisions because of some choices that he made, then I'm, I'm just going to make the opposite decision, right? So to bring that back to your original question, as, as far as, you know, has that infected my love life and my relationships? I would say early on, yes. Um, prior, prior to my rededication of my life to Christ, I would say I was definitely your stereotypical football player, right? I was your stereo, stereotypical D1 athlete did what I want, whenever I wanted to do it, just my own mindset until I met my wife today. And I, I just kind of realized like all that was, was unnecessary. I would say my, my dad wasn't necessarily, he wasn't a faithful guy and I wasn't unfaithful per se in college. I just was not willing to commit if that makes sense. Right. I just didn't want to be in a relationship, but now that I am in a relationship and I'm married and it's a healthy marriage, I don't see any of the, the negativity that was inside of my mom and dad's marriage. That's not transferred into my marriage, primarily because, again, I observed, I observed what that was and how my dad would just talk down to my mom and not necessarily you know, give her any type of appreciation or thanks for the things that she was doing while he was on the road and doing different things. I saw the, 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 the type of anger that that was, and I told myself, that's not going to be me, right? That's not, I'm not going to take that and then portray that inside of my marriage, my relationship, my household. So I would say, obviously, it's, it's unfortunate that it happened in my, in my life, in my, I guess, in my childhood in itself. But at the same time, it is fortunate because it gave me an exact example of what I did not want to be, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, in the end, I feel like it impacted me in a positive light because now I don't have those, I know what it looks like if, you know, a woman is being verbally abused. I know what it looks like if she's being physically abused. I, I've seen those things because I've seen it from my mom. So therefore, I know deep down to my core, I never want to be the cause of that pain to anybody else. Does that make sense? So uh, I don't know if that answers your question. Again, that's a lo- another long-winded approach, but that's, that's really where it came from. I don't, think, I don't think their relationship has impacted me in a negative way. If anything, it gave me an example of, of what I did not want to see present in my own marriage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being the first one in your family to go to college and being able to create all these different results from the results that they were creating in their life, what did you Mm. do as far as mindset shifts or like your environment to make sure that you wouldn't end up in the same places that they were ending up? Is there, what did you do differently? That's a, that's another great question. When you think about creating a different norm than where you're already at. I think the biggest decision that you can make is choosing to upgrade your association. The people that you hang around and connect with and communicate with on a daily basis, I feel as though that has the, one of the biggest influences on whether or not you create success or you start making poor decisions and you hit rock bottom, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, growing up, I would say the most impactful times of my life was pretty much right going right into high school, that ninth grade year. I basically developed a friendship with a guy. His name is Eli, Eli McLean. Eli, if you listen to this, I love you, bro. Um, but he, him and another guy, is actually, his name is Jeff Baker, and Jeff is in the Marines now today. And, again, if you're listening to this, Jeff, love you, bro. Um, but the, those two guys were, like, my rocks. Although I was a part of so many different sports teams, you know, I played football, basketball, and baseball when I was in high school. Those two guys were the people I spent all my time with off the field. And neither one of them were looking to go to the parties. They wasn't trying to get fake IDs and go do stuff. Like, the, the mindset was, like, how can we grow ourselves or how can we make our families' lives better? And it's funny to think like, you know, as a 13 and 14 year old, you're having these conversations with a friend saying like, how can we make our, you know, like basically how can we take care of our moms? We were all mama's boys. So it was like, how can, what can we do to take care of our moms and give our moms a a better life, a better way of living, things like that. And that association carried me through, man. Like it was, you know, all the time you can get caught up in so many different things when you're like, you know, the, the big man on campus and, you know, you got so many different perks and accolades and stuff as you're going through high school and things, but none of that stuff mattered to me at all. I mean, like it's, I literally had those two guys. And at the time I had a, she's still a good friend of mine, but she, at the time she was my girlfriend, her name was Dejanay. She also just didn't take any, I don't know, she didn't do any dumb stuff. So like, you know, if you made poor decisions, you hear from it from her as well. So I felt like the people that were in my life and kind of like shaping the friendships and things from that perspective, they just didn't allow me to do stupid stuff. Right. Like, and, and I never necessarily had like dumb ideas to just go do something stupid. It was just, I wasn't interested in it. People would be like, bro, you come to this house party? Nope. Bro, you want to smoke? Nope. Like, bro, you want to go drink? Nope. Like my, my response, honestly, I'm thinking back right now to all those things was always, no, nah, bro, I'm an athlete. Like as in, as an athlete, I don't do any of that. Right. Um, and that, it's funny because I just remember, like reminded myself of that. Um, but a lot of it was, has come down to association. I think the people that I started to surround myself with, and again, no knock on, you know, the decisions and things that my siblings have made, but they started surrounding themselves with people that were not necessarily headed in the right direction. And it's not that they were headed in the wrong direction. It's just that they weren't really headed in a direction, right? They didn't have a plan. They didn't have the ambition. They didn't have, you know, the drive and the, and the willpower to just, to just do something different, right. To create something from nothing. And I feel as though those two guys in high school were primary influences on me. And then obviously I had coaches that were always there. I had teachers that were invested in me. Um, that wanted to see me succeed. So instead of, you know, instead of having me do dumb stuff, I, you know, I, my teachers would pull me aside and actually have conversations with me. And my coaches would pull me aside. Like I remember thinking to myself, I told my head coach and for football, I was like, no, man, I'm not taking the SATs. Like, well, I got to take the SATs for Cause in my mind, I already had a, a good enough GPA. So I wasn't going to take an SAT because it didn't matter. I already passed like the NCAA clearinghouse, the scale or whatever I need to, to do. And he was like, no, man, you're going to take the SATs. And it's going to, and long story short, it, it actually added to the, one of the reasons why I was able to get the full ride that I did to go to college um, because of me taking the SATs and the financial aid that I got back from it, because a lot of my scholarship was also academic based. Right. So um, I know again, long winded answer, but coming back to it, association is huge. Just having the right people around you. That's going to direct you in the correct direction instead of having them drag you down or tell you that you can't do something or tell you that something is impossible. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. Those people were around and kind of in my ear in life as well. But I use that as fuel. If somebody told me that I couldn't do something, it was only a more of a reason for me to prove them wrong. So, um, and then I would also just double the amount of time that I spent with those who told me that I could. Because let's be honest, and you probably know this as well as yourself, Sophia, like people are going to tell you that you can't do something all the time. But a lot of the times that's just their own perception on what they believe they can do themselves that they're projecting onto you. And you don't have to accept their expectation of you as your own self fact, right? You can use that as fuel to say like, no, nah, man, I don't care what you say. I'm still going to be successful. You can believe it or not, but it's happening regardless. <laughs> and I think that was my mindset as I was growing up too. <laughs> and have you always been like highly competitive Have you, and have you taken like that competitive edge from being in football and applied it to your business? Yes. 
I would say I'm that guy. I actually usually say this from stage all the time when I have speaking engagements. I'm the guy, if I'm sitting, if I'm sitting across from you, I'm already competing with you. You don't like you don't know it, but I'm competing. I'm seeing if I'm sitting up straighter than you. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like I'm a natural born competitor, right? I always I'm always competing, uh, which is which is a good thing and a bad thing. Like I, I, I personally believe the person that you're in most competition with is yourself. So in no way, shape or form, am I comparing myself to other people or anything else? I just for, for me to keep it interesting and fun. I just always find little teeny ways to compete against other people. Um, and that's just my mindset, my mindset behind it. But that has created this, this work ethic, this ambition, this drive that I feel as though is, is deeply rooted inside of me today. Sports definitely had a huge impact in that because I never wanted to be beat by anybody else, right? Um, I never wanted to be outworked by anybody else. And I never wanted to be embarrassed you know, say on the field or on the court, like you, if I was embarrassed, I feel like that was the, that was the epitome of me just being like, oh, bro, that was horrible. I need to get back into the gym and work three, four, five, six times as hard this time. Right. Um, so that, that natural drive to compete has always been a huge part. And it's a huge part of my business as well, because competition is around you everywhere. You're how you separate yourself from your competition is your brand. That is how you are recognized. It's how you start to build a following, an audience, a, a voice that people like to rally behind. Um, so I, I, I personally believe competition brings out the best in everybody. Because if you have nobody to compete against, you can get complacent and you can get content and be like, oh, I'm at the top of this mountain. I don't need to, I don't need to change. I don't need to grow. I don't need to make any adjustments, right? Whereas though competition allows you to believe at least for me that there's somebody out there that's bigger and better than you at all times so therefore you need to always be working you need to always be moving forward because here's what i learned there's no such thing as standing still you're even moving forward or you're moving backwards by default right i call it like running up a down escalator you have to keep running otherwise when you stop you're just going to go back down to the bottom again right so competition is huge to me i'm glad you asked that question because I feel like that competitive edge, that, that drive to want to succeed and, and just not be complacent, it always has to be there. You always have to be in pursuit of something because it's in the pursuit that you find your passion. And earlier you mentioned that you didn't really like settle down until you met your wife. How did you meet your wife and what was it about her that made you want to settle down with her? So that's a, that's a, that's a true God story right there. Um, man. So me and my wife initially, we actually met on Tinder, right? Um, so oddly enough, I actually, I moved into Binghamton about 2015. Okay. And when I moved up here, I didn't, you know, I didn't know anybody. I it was literally just moved into a brand new place, blank slate. Nobody knew me, nothing at all. So Tinder was my way of trying to connect with people and different things like that. And again, that was before I rededicated my life to Christ. And I was on Tinder, honestly, for the wrong reasons. But me and my wife matched on Tinder. Um, and from, from there, you know, I, you know, I'm reaching out to her. I'm like, hey, we should actually get dinner sometime, different things like that. And she was swerved on me. She was like, ah, no, absolutely not. This is not, this is not the time for it. Um, basically not a good time in life and things like that. And looking back on it, again, I think God had his hand on the whole entire relationship, the entire interaction, because we both were in just bad spots. Um, I was, again, my mindset, I was still coming out of college. That was fresh out of college. So I'm coming back with this mindset of like, oh, you know, I'm doing me, you know, YOLO, doing my own best life, all this other stuff. And uh, it would have been a bad time to actually meet this amazing woman that I now have as a wife. So, um, and then at the same time, she was dealing with a little bit of uh, just, just unhealthy thought process, like actually feeling like she wanted to need attention um, which, which is, again, it's a, it was kind of an unhealthy place for her mentally to be inside of. So when she denied me that first time, obviously I didn't know that. I didn't know all these underlying factors, but I just looked at it as like, all right, well, put you then. I'm just going, going about my business. Right. And then I actually got into a relationship with a, with a girl that I was, um, involved with in college. I got in a relationship with her and I dated her from, I want to say it was that January. So I came out here in October, met, matched with my wife on Tinder in November of 2015, started dating this other girl in January of 2016, broke up with that girl in April of 2016, just didn't align um, as far as vision goals, what we, what we saw for the future. 
wind up reaching back out to my wife and just saying like, Hey, how's, how are things going? How, you know, how you been, all this other stuff, you know, trying to shoot my shot again. And, um, you, you started getting a dialect, you know, having a, or dialogue, having a conversation. And, you know, again, I, I felt as though, okay, I'm gonna take my shot. Like, all right, how about we get dinner this time? You know, have some chance, have a chance to actually get to know each other. Nah, absolutely not. We ain't getting together. <laughs> so she swerved on me again. I'm like, dang, bro. Like, this is crazy. Like, I don't know. I don't know if, how many times I can hurt my pride and keep getting denied by the same person. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Like, why I keep on coming back for this? But subliminally, I felt like, again, it's the challenge, right? It's competitiveness at this point. So um, I think we, we didn't keep talking probably until July. Yeah, it was probably around July when we actually started uh, talking again. I actually texted her on her birthday, told her happy birthday. I was at a leadership conference at the time, developing myself, growing myself with a, with a bunch of mentors, huge business conference. And um, at the time, I remember sending her a message and saying, hey, I, I, I want to keep chatting with you, but... I actually, am, you know, I'm, I'm immersed in this conference. I'm trying to learn everything that I can, but I don't want you to think that I'm not responding to you and I'm not giving you the light of day and everything else. But let me let me reach out to you after our Sunday service because I'm going to basically go to a Sunday service and things like that. Her response still to this day was mind-blowing because her resp- I never had a girl be interested in my spiritual life. They usually, if I say something like that, they usually just say, oh, cool, like, you know, talk to you later or something like that. Her response was... Uh, I don't know exactly what it was word for word, but it was, it was more along the lines of, wow, that's awesome. I would love to know about what the message was about and we should communicate a little bit deeper on what you learned and kind of, you know, how you're going to apply it and things like that. So here I am, you know, at this conference, now I'm like intrigued, like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what the speakers talk about up here. I'm like, wow, you are different. Like, this is awesome. Like, we're going to figure out how this, how this thing does. And then long story short, I actually ended up rededicating my life to Christ that Sunday. My wife, prior to behind the scenes, right? So my wife, that Friday or whatever beforehand, she was actually in Florida with her dad at the beach. She rededicated her life to Christ, asked God for guidance. Hey, what what am I doing? What's happening? What's going on? We had a conversation on the phone for the very first time that Sunday as I was driving back from North Carolina up here to uh, New York. And then we decided on that phone call, we were finally going to get dinner right? That following day. So she finally accepted my invitation to get some food. And um, long story short, man, that was, that was the beginning of this amazing blossoming relationship that we have today. She's the mother of my kids. I wouldn't rather have it any other way. Love that woman to my, to my core. Um, she, is, she is definitely one of the, the rock in this family. I mean, she, she does a lot. Um, I probably don't tell her that enough, but she, she definitely does a lot. She's the glue that keeps everything together, especially when I get frustrated and because um, my mind is always all like this and I'm all over the place. But she's just, she's even kill. She's a rock. She can kind of get through with everything else that needs to happen. So um, again, long story, but that, that rededication my, to my life to Christ, I think is that transition, how that thought process of like, man, I want to be out and then basically I want to be hoeing around to now it came back to like, no, nah, man, I want to be an example again. I didn't have kids at the time, but I want to be an example to say like, I, I'm, I'm faithful to your mother. I want to show you what a real marriage, a real man looks like. And it was in that, uh, that, that service that on that Sunday, it made me start to start thinking about some things that are in my own heart and things that I wanted to start to change. And, and it was in that environment, that atmosphere where I made that decision. And then again, God's hand, because then me and my wife had, dinner that next day. And it's been, it's been amazing ever since. <laughs> and what was it about her that you're like, I'm going to try again and again. <laughs> and eventually she'll say yes. <laughs> Honestly. So early, early on, it was, it was her appearance, right? Early on, it was definitely her appearance. Um, she's, she's gorgeous. She has, she has the most stunning blue eyes when you, when you, I don't know, next, when we get off of here or whatever else, just go look at my Instagram. You'll see a picture of my wife. You'll be like, what the heck is her eyes, bro? Like sometimes they gray, sometimes they blue. It's, it's just wild, right? And sometimes they're actually green. Her eyes change so many colors. But um, initially it was, it was appearance. Um, she's obviously a very attractive woman. Um, but as I got to know her, it, be, it became to be her heart, man. Her heart is, is so deep and ingrained in serving other people. And, and, and just being so, 
selfless and wanting to give and give and give and give. Like one of, one of our goals together as a couple, which honestly was primarily because of her thought process, is to be able to live off of 50% of our income and give the other 50% away. Like that is, that is a lifelong goal for us and for her to have a giving account. So anytime somebody comes to her from, you know, with a ministry or anything and they're like, hey, we need this. She wants to have an account that she can just be like, all right, it's in there. Here, take a thousand bucks. Here, take this. Here, take this. And that stretched me, man. Like, because, you know, at first, again, before I dedicated my life to Christ, I had this mindset of like, it's mine. Like, I'm not giving that away. What you talking about? Whereas though now is a lot because of her influence and her, her, her just willingness, right? Like it just, just openly just here, take this. And I don't need anything in return. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. Like when you just, I don't know if you have anybody like that in your life that is just so selfless and so caring about others that, uh, sometimes to you, it just, it makes you mad, but at the same time, like it, it's, uh, it's inspiring. Cause you see like so many, you see like the good in the world, like the actual people that are behind the scenes that are, that are genuinely interested in helping other people be elevated and encouraged whether that be through, t- through donating your time, donating money, you know, donating resources, whatever it may be. Like, I, I love my wife to the fullest, man. Like, that's, it's, it's always inspiring and always uplifting and challenging to me because that's something that is just deeply ingrained in her. But it's something like, for me, I have to teach myself <laughs> and continue to learn it. And what advice would you give to someone who's trying to find love on a dating app? Man, I'm so far removed from dating. I, well, I can, I can tell you our preference. How about that? My preference was get on the phone or talk to me on a, like a FaceTime as soon as possible. Like, I don't, I don't, don't, don't just do this whole texting back and forth because you ain't going to catfish me, bro. That ain't happening. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not going to be on the show. So, um, so my, my advice is try to figure out that chemistry face to face as soon as possible. Um, because I, I, you I don't know if you've noticed this at this point, but I'm a huge proponent of time management and you're not going to waste my time. Like I'm not going to sit here and message you for months and months and months and not have an opportunity to get to know you face to face and see how we mesh and, and, and work together face to face or in the actual physical presence. Um, I think you had somebody on your, on your show that talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. Like having a, a face-to-face interaction. Yeah. Um, I forget the young lady's name, but she did an amazing job communicating that. Um, and, and that's something as well that I would, I would definitely agree with. Like you, you know how you vibe with people when you're in their presence physically compared to just sending messages back and forth. Cause you can hide behind words, but you can't hide when you're in person. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think my biggest advice is try to figure out how to connect with those people, um, face to face or even on a, you know, FaceTime or something like that, just so you can see the mannerisms, see how like they act, how they interact, things like that. That's the stuff that's like the subliminal things that are like small observations that I've always made. Like it's just small stuff that I see all the time. Right. Like, um, just like, I don't know how, how many times they hair flip, how many times they do like small, these small little things that may seem like so inconsistent, but to me, it's like, Oh, that's cute, man. Like I can, I can, I can, I can be okay with seeing that for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? Like compared to just a message and being like, Oh, I can get used to somebody texting me for the rest of my life. Like, no, today me and my wife text probably the least. I mean, like we're together. So I want to see how that interaction happens instead of just being able to text you and talk to you that way. So uh, hopefully that helps. Mm. (laughs) And how did you get into public speaking? So initially it came, I'm going to take you back. um, Because I think we may have talked about this prior to the recording and everything started to happen. Um, It it goes back to when I was a sophomore in college, I came home from, from college. I was living up in Rhode Island at the time. And I came back down to Baltimore and I wanted to go back to my high school and basically talk to my, all of my old teachers and be like, Hey, how are things going and all this other stuff. And the day that I ended up going back to school, my athletic director was there. His name, his name is Rod McMillian. We call him hot rod. So hot rod basically asked me, he was like, man, you know, we got our, our spring Oh no. Yeah. Our spring banquet is tonight. So all the spring athletes are going to be there tonight and they're going to be giving out awards and all kinds of different things. He was like, you should come back and speak. He was like, you had a pretty, 
successful career here athletically and academically. You should come back and speak. And I'm be honest with you, Sophia, at the time, I was like, nah, man, I can't do that. Like, I'm not prepared. I literally was talking to this man to that day in hooping shorts and a T-shirt. And I had like, you know, I, I was like, I'm not prepared for this. I didn't bring any clothes. Like, what are you talking about? I can't, I can't do this speech or whatever else. And it wasn't that I was scared. I think, I think it was just my own self-worth at the time. I felt like I didn't have anything of value to share is really what it was. I felt as though, you know, I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what to say and all this other stuff. And then long story short, he convinced me to be like, ah, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Go buy some clothes or something like that. Just come back and speak. Um, so I did. I ended up, you know, left three hour hiatus, came back. And then I was able to, he gave me 15 minutes to just go out there and share pretty much, you know, like tips. Like, hey, go up there and just let them know what you did to get to where you are. And it, it was at, it, the magic happened actually after I talked for 15 minutes because it was it was a very ping pong talk. I had no actually clear directive on what I was saying or the emotion that I wanted to give. I just literally shared my story from a perspective of I went here. I, I understand the classes that you're in, the class sizes. I know the coaches that you have. I know the intentions behind those coaches. And they helped me basically elevate myself to where I am today, right? But the magic, again, happened after that speech because then I had the parents and some of the students come up to me afterwards and just talk about how my words impacted them and, and really inspired them to believe, like, wow, like, he got a scholarship? I'm a junior. I still got a chance to get a scholarship. Wow, he, you know, he, he did these individual things. It, 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 it was like that transfer of hope, right? It was like Roger Bannister in the four-minute mile. Like once they actually saw and physically interacted with somebody who accomplished what they were doing, it was like they were inspired and like they were happy. You can kind of see the glow in their face. And it was at that point in time when I realized, I was like, man, this would be dope if I can do this all the time, right? If I could just be able to speak and encourage and uplift people just from my own stories and what I've, what I've done and some of the things that I've learned along the way. So I think early on, although I didn't start right then and there, like saying, Hey, I'm gonna be a public speaker. I think that is the literally the starting point to what made me want to do what I do today. It was that interaction in such a small, intimate setting that made me have this passion to be like, you know what, man, I want to go back and I just want to serve others and help encourage them to believe that they can become whoever they want to become. Mm. And what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into public speaking? And how do you, do you rehearse ahead of time? Do you come up with, with what you're going to say? Do you just channel on the spot? What do you do for your process as well? So my process, I pretty much have a framework. So I, I'm not a, a monologue type of guy, like a full manuscript and like remember everything word for word, because I'll just, I'll forget everything. I want to, like, it just doesn't process for me. However, I'm, I'm a great at outlining. So like I know a frame, if I know a framework of kind of how I'm going to put this together, then it makes it so much more effective for me to communicate, okay? Uh, without me feeling like I'm, I'm forgetting what I need to say and everything else. Because if I feel fear, then I'm probably transferring that fear to the audience and everything else. And obviously we don't want that to happen. So um, a lot of what I do is just having the framework, having an idea, and then basically creating a, a talk that not only brings my own personal ideas, my own beliefs, that own framework into what is the end goal that the event planner wants their audience to have. I feel like some people um, as a speaker, they just want to get on stage and talk about all oh, I'm almighty. I did this, I did that. And it's just literally all about them. And it doesn't come across well to the audience where I like to have conversations with event planners ahead of time and ask them, hey, what is the end result that you want from your event? What do you want the, the overall atmosphere to be like? What do you want you know, the feeling to be once I finish with my keynote? What is the feeling or the action that you want them to take, right? Um, so that's kind of my, my whole process, I guess, uh, on the front end is trying to figure out if that is in alignment with what I do. Because if it's not in alignment, I'm not going to lie to them and say like, yeah, I can do a speech. Like as a speaker, you got to know what doesn't align with what you do and be willing to walk away. It takes care to walk away from something that that's not a good fit. Right. Uh, that's something we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Right. If you get that intuition, like, oh, this feels weird. Then you get you got to kind of walk away from that. Um, but my biggest advice for anyone who's trying to get into the industry is. Speak for free and record everything that you do. 
<laughs> so early on, you're going you're gonna to fumble over your words. You're not really going to know what you're wanting to say and everything else. And it's, it's going to seem frustrating, but you, you need to just – you got to get your practice swings in, right? Like I tell people all the time, you're not going to start something on the very first day and be amazing at it, right? You're not going to be an expert. And I tell people all the time as well, don't compare your page one to my page 100. Just because I'm further down the road doesn't mean you need to be exactly how effective and polished I am today, right? Um, you, you have to start at your page one. So you got to start figuring out your craft, figuring out your voice, figuring out your story, figuring out who you serve, who you want to serve, the audience. Because most, most speakers, they think like, oh, I, I speak on personal growth and I can talk to anybody on personal growth. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Maybe on a broader spectrum, on a broader spectrum, maybe, but you can't go into say a, a youth audience and speak to those kids the exact same way that you would to somebody that's in a corporate career that's 35 years old, right? You got to figure out where you're most effective and where your passions actually lie so that you can figure out if that's going to be the industry in which you serve. So um, that's my biggest advice is for, for those individuals to identify um, that early on, because then you'll save yourself a lot of heartache and, and, and just bad relationships because you don't want to go and give a bad speech. You give a bad speech. Now you got a bad reputation and now you got to climb out of the hole instead of being able to just climb a mountain. <laughs> you got to climb out of the hole and then climb the mountain, which is going to make yourself, uh, you know, perspire and burn out a lot sooner than what you need to. <laughs> and how do you, how do you like do your speech so you're not focusing too much on your story but you're also mm. being able to like give some other tips and advice I don't know like trying to like balance talking about yourself versus talking about the audience how do you do that absolutely that's that's an art of storytelling you got to learn how to tell stories man um I think people we us as people in general we learn better when there's a story attached to something. Like if you give me a fact and just say, remember this fact, it's kind of like, oh, I don't really know what that fact is, right? But if you give me a fact embedded in a story, I remember the story and then by default, I remember the fact. You see what I'm saying? Um, so my whole thing is you got to get really good at communicating your story and the lessons are in the story. So you got to pick stories that coincide with the lesson that you're teaching, Right. I can't, I can't go up to somebody and say, um, maybe I want to go up to somebody and, and maybe the communication that I want to say is that you can be anything that you want to be in life. Well, I'm not then going to pick a story of where I just failed, 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 failed and never succeeded, right? Because that's not going to translate into the end action, the end goal that you actually want to come out of that presentation, okay? So, my whole idea is being able to communicate a story and then connect that to a lesson, okay? Because that's how, every, that's how we learn. You know, you think about all the different people who are successful today, a lot of them have rags of riches stories or they have just their own individual paths that they took and then they can teach you a lot from those, those different directions. I mean, even the story that you shared with me prior to us, you know, doing the whole recording of saying, man, you know, I, I had a really bad experience, but that experience taught me that I really need to listen to my intuition. Well, now you can use that story and you dissect. That was that, that, that lesson that you learned was listen to your intuition, right? But you used your story on the front end to communicate it, to set the stage. And then bang, you hit them with the nugget of saying, make sure that you listen to your intuition. So those, those are the pieces that you want to make sure you start to get good at because it's in the storytelling that allows you to communicate and bridge the gap between knowledge and action, right? Or, or even to on a much deeper level, it bridges the gap between I have this piece of information and what am I actually going to do with this information compared to just letting it sit in my mental storehouse. And tell me about your book and what your book's about. Yeah. So my book, oh man, uh, it was, that was a journey. I'm be honest with you. It's a lot of, a lot of great things and great stories comes out of this individual book. Primarily, I'm going to say the, the, where I, where I wrote it, what I had in mind was being able to reach 16 to 20 year, 22 year old people. Right. So my mindset was kind of catching the, the, 
just before I graduate from high school, but also I might be graduating college. And those are the times of most uncertainty for a lot of us, right? Because we're like, now we don't have the structure, we don't have class, we don't have things that we're going to, and we got to figure out like, what the heck do we really want to be in this world? What do we want to do with our life? And sometimes, even up to that point, we haven't been exposed to what we don't know about ourselves, right? So my biggest, my biggest thing is being able to understand that if you invest in yourself first, the best investment that you can make is in yourself. As you invest in yourself and you learn more about yourself, you start to learn the values that you add, where you, you know, where you actually create to be an asset in somebody else's life or in somebody else's organization. So, but you first need to be self-aware about yourself, which is again, why the, the book is called unlock yourself. Um, but as in the subtitle of it, how to create the success you were born or how to earn the success you were born to create. It came from the idea that everybody already has the seeds of greatness inside of them. I don't think anybody was born by mistake or by accident or whatever else you have those seeds already inside of you, but it's up to you as an individual to plant those seeds in an environment that's conducive to growth. Right. But you need to know what that environment looks like. A lot of us just don't know what it looks like to be in a good environment to start cultivating yourself and start growing yourself. And unfortunately you're going to have to prune yourself, which hurts. Right. But you got to start making those changes and those adjustments so that you can step into the, cre the creativeness and the success that you're really born to create, right? Um, so that book is primarily, is written to help people shed those self-limiting beliefs about themselves so they can pursue a life that they're passionate about living. That's, that's the end goal, is to have people be able to say, I can achieve anything that I want to achieve, and now I at least have a formula, a roadmap of what I can use to actually get to where I want to go. Because the book was written, but even in, all throughout the book, and even if your your uh, audience or anybody that's listening today, if they want to have even a workbook, because I'm a, I'm a big proponent in applying the knowledge that you know. And the more that you write things down, the more that it sticks so that you can actually apply it. So I've actually created a workbook that I give out for free. So if you're purchasing the book, I'm going to give you a workbook for free that gives you all the the, the, the mindset, the layout so that you can start doing that work on yourself, so that you can start figuring out more about yourself, what your goals are, what you want to accomplish, and start dreaming bigger. It takes the same amount of energy to dream small that it does to dream big. So why not start dreaming bigger? Don't just think like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm in a career right now. I don't, I'm not knocking this, but maybe I'm working at McDonald's, right? But deep down inside, I, just, I want to be this amazing influencer, and I want to create content, and I want to be able to help people. Well, just because you're at McDonald's, don't allow that to be your only thought process. Like, oh, I'm just a McDonald's employee. No, like don't make it so small, like dream even bigger. Like how about instead of just being an influencer, why can't you be a, a, a national uh, public figure, right? Whereas though you're, you're, you're recognized everywhere. Your brand is recognized everywhere. You can dream so much bigger and it's in those big dreams that it allows you to have something that you're in pursuit of. You have to continue to pursue something. Because it's when you stop pursuing and you just, you just decide like, oh, this is it. This is where I am forever. I feel like that point right there is when you actually die. Maybe you're not in the ground buried, but you're dead. You're like a zombie walking, right? Compared to when you're in pursuit, man, you're excited. You're happy. You're jolly. You, you add value wherever you are instead of just being like the fun sucker. I don't know if, you, if you've in, interacted with any fun mm -hmm. suckers. I don't have any friend fun suckers because they're fun suckers. I don't want you to suck my fun. But I feel like the people um, that, that really have that passion, those deep desires are the ones that continue to brighten your day and, and just add so much more positivity and radiance to so, other, so many other lives. And I think that's, that's truly a phenomenal thing. <laughs> and I want to touch on LinkedIn. Have you always been like super yeah. into LinkedIn? What benefits have you noticed from being so active on LinkedIn? I would say I started getting really active on LinkedIn about a year ago. Um, and it, and it all came from, honestly, I was, I was working as an employee, but I, I had this mindset in my mind is of if I can subliminally plant myself into the CEOs, the CIOs and all the people that I wanted to connect with on LinkedIn, if I can subliminally position myself in their mind as like somebody that's known. So if I just walked into their office, 
they could be like, oh, hey, you're the LinkedIn guy. Like, I see you all the time here locally. That's where initially the thought came from. That's where the entire activity was driven from. But as I started getting more and more into LinkedIn and developing content and creating videos, I started to develop that passion, right? It's kind of um, you know, that pruning that I was talking about. Because I don't know, if, if you ever go back and watch my very first video on LinkedIn, you're going to be like, dang, bro, like, this dude sucked. I don't know what this dude was talking about. <laughs> because it was just, it was different, right? Like I, I've grown, my voice has grown a little bit. I've kind of found out who I serve and the audience that I'm, that I'm, that I'm excited about serving. And I would say the results that have come from it, I, I just love it. LinkedIn is, is an amazing platform for developing great connections and your network determines your net worth. I'm pretty sure you probably heard that a thousand times, but it's so true. When you start to develop a network of people who are movers and shakers in their own industries, they're trying to add value and, and, and continue to uplift and encourage people. When you have those people in your network, all it does is elevate you. It makes you become better. It goes back to that competition thing that we were talking about before. Because now, if you're a part of that network, now you feel as though you have to perform for the network, right? You have to continue to, to provide that content, provide value. And I think that's what, um, what LinkedIn has really helped me do is kind of create this, this network of people who are passionate about so many different things, so many different industries. However, their success principles are universal. So being able to learn from those people and have conversations with those people and collaborate with them through podcasts and conversations and Facebook lives and LinkedIn lives and all these, you know, all these different ways to serve audiences, I think has been huge and just honestly building a brand, but, but as in addition to that, building great relationships with people who I feel as though I can come back to. And it's not just a conversation, say, with me and you on Zoom and, and then being released on the podcast. But now this relationship gets extended and we can continue to now find how we can benefit each other. So it's like now if I'm on a different podcast, I'm like, man, have you heard about Sophia? You need to, you need to connect with Sophia because she's going to be able to do this, this, and this for you. And it's, it's now you start to create these relationships that become mutually beneficial. And I'm, I'm a big proponent in helping other people grow. So for me, I just have that servant heart, that servant mindset, right? Much like you, I've, I've seen, obviously I've seen some of the different podcasts and some of the guests that you've had on. And the, the, it's funny because the episodes are never almost ever about you. It's always about the individual and, and what they, how they serve people and what their audience is and things from that perspective. And you taking that approach of being just a servant leader and saying, I want to help other people elevate their brand. I want, other, I want to give people a platform to share their story and communicate their message. That is helping so many others elevate themselves. It's, it's helping so many people because that's a true value that you're providing because you have that servant leadership mindset. And that's what I love about LinkedIn. Um, and obviously, again, if you find people that have that weird intuition and they are not necessarily that cool um, or don't have that same mindset, I don't connect with them. I don't collaborate with them because it's, it's not, I don't want to share the stage with somebody who I don't feel as though values actually align. And what advice would you have for someone who's just starting on LinkedIn? Video, man, post some video. Um, and, and then also be engaged. Don't be that dude. That's just, you know, like being the like monster, right? Like just scrolling through and hitting like, 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 like all the time. Honestly, something as simple as instead of just hitting like, like hitting the celebrate buttons or hitting like the, the insightful buttons or the incurious buttons, it makes people stop and look like, oh man, like somebody didn't just like this. Like they actually thought it was a different emotion. So that helps in itself, but also be a part of other people's community. When people post content, Show up on it, right? Ask, ask a question, add to the conversation, right? That's what LinkedIn is for. It's basically built around conversation and, and discussion, okay? So the more that you're adding to that, that community, that thought of, of what you feel as though you can add and, and just the value that you bring there, it's only going to continue to increase your actual pieces on the algorithm as well. So the more that you interact, the more that, that LinkedIn is seeing that you're active on the platform, the more they also want to bring people to your content, to see your content and everything else. So in no way, shape or form am I a LinkedIn master, but those are some things that I definitely noticed is that you want to, you want to be able to be social on it. Don't just, 
Don't just be again the like monster. I hate I hate that man. Like you probably get that sometimes too. Like people randomly like stuff, and like sometimes I take it to the next level. And like if somebody liked it that's brand new, I'll I'll mention them in the comment. Be like, hey man, I'm glad you liked it. Like anything specific that stood out to you. And then it's like they ghost you. They never even respond. It's like oh, you found out that I like I like this comment. Like now I need to disappear. It reminds me of the the Homer Simpson uh, gif when he just kind of like disappears into the bushes. <laughs> um, but don't be that person, right? Like continue to add to the conversation, like add something there, be interactive and don't just be the dude um, that's just aimlessly liking everything. Cause then, you know, that's just no fun. That's no discussion there. I can't get to know you if you just like it. It's like a poke on Facebook. Like who pokes me anymore on Facebook? Like that's just weird. (laughs) (laughs) What is something that's lighting you up right now? Family. Obviously during, during this pandemic and everything right now, family has always lightened me up, man. I mean, I got, I got a 15 month old and then I have a two month old at home right now. So these these two little dudes these guys are phenomenal man like they're they're a handful don't get me wrong but they are they are so funny um and and it it, every time i look at them it makes it reminds me of my passion right it reminds me of all the the deep rooted dreams the desire the legacy that i want to leave behind for them because i want them to be proud to 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 take and carry on the thomason name right I want them to be proud to say like, that's my dad. And I, I can continue to walk, not necessarily walk in his footsteps, but I can use what he built to elevate my brand into whatever I want to do next. Right. I don't expect my kids to follow in my footsteps. Like people ask me all the time, uh, you know, are they going to play football? Are they going to, you know, follow, literally do everything that you did? And I'm like, you know what? My kids can do whatever they want to do. Like if they want to play baseball, play baseball. They want to play football, play football, soccer. It doesn't matter. Heck, man, if you want to be a musician, I don't, I don't care. Do whatever you want to do, but just do it to the fullest, right? Show the, show the commitment, show the dedication, show the work ethic. You can be whatever you want to be. You don't have to be like me. I'm not going to pressure you to do anything that I did. I want you to make decisions, especially early on, so that you can be confident in who you are. You can be confident in what you want to do. You can be confident in yourself so that you can then be successful in whatever it is that you want to pursue. Cause it's the confidence thing that has to come out first. And I don't think, um, you know, I ever wanted my kids to feel as though like, Oh man, I have to just be just like my dad. Like, no, nah, man, you can literally be whoever you want to be. Don't, don't, don't focus your whole life on, Oh, I just gotta, I gotta do exactly what my dad did. No, you don't. You got so many different options and things that you can, it's because of decisions that I made, you have options and things that you, that you, that I didn't have. So you can make different decisions. Um, but hopefully that answers your questions. I, th- I think th- those two boys, man, they just light me up all the time. Being able to just wake up and, you know, my 15 year month old, my 15 month old just pops in the door. He bangs on the door. He's like, da, 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 all the time. And it's just like, bro, this is amazing. Like in the time, at the moment, I'm like, bro, I'm sleeping. But at the same time, it's like, this is awesome. Like there's not a lot of people that get to experience this, right? Um, and during COVID I've, I've been able to spend excessive amounts of time with them, which is absolutely phenomenal. I'm, it's like, they're growing up right, be- right before my eyes. Right. It's like you, you know, I, I gave my son a haircut not too long ago and he went from like looking like a little tiny old baby to now looking like a grown man. Like, you know, he's, he's like, he needs to be a baby model or something. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Again, look at, looking on Instagram, you'll probably see pictures of him and be like, Hey, bro, like it's kind of crazy. Um, it's like his glow up and his, he's only glowing up for 15 months. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> so they definitely bring me a lot of, uh, a lot of joy, a lot of joy in my life. And I appreciate them. I'm thankful for my wife for bearing these big headed babies for nine months, um, so that they can come through. <laughs> <laughs> what is something that most people don't know about you? Most people don't know. Wow. That's a, that's a stump question. I feel like I haven't had to think about that one in a very long time. Um, I'm an open book, bro. I feel like everybody knows everything about me. Um, I don't really have a lot of secrets. (laughs) Um, I guess most people probably, especially your audience, most people don't know that I can, I can hold a tune. I wouldn't say I'm a singer. I wouldn't say that I'm going to be frontline and, you know, being the next Kurt Franklin or anything else like that. But 
I'm that I, I love to sing and my wife will tell you that I love to sing. I'm always, I think that adds to my, my overall positivity is because I'm always just like singing tunes. I actually sing my, my, my sons and their names, like when I see them and uh, they get a kick out of it, they just start laughing and giggling. It's, it's, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, I, I love to just, just use my voice, man, to just sing little tunes, little riffs. Like I said, I'm not singing full songs or taking front stage or anything like that, but I love to sing. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a joy of mine. <laughs> and who inspires you? So uh, number one is definitely my kids. My kids definitely inspire me. My wife inspires me all the time. Basically, you know, what we talked about before her, her willingness to just serve other people is uh, it's an inspiration every single day because she's always trying to think of ways to encourage and uplift and empower other people. And um, that's amazing in itself. It's always been an inspiration. And then outside of that, it's, it's legacy. It's legacy. I think um, when you think of the term legacy, I think some people have different meanings and different, you know, things of what it means to them. But for me, it's what are you doing today that leaves an impact on generations to come? And I'm inspired every single day to, to know that what I'm doing, the actions that I'm taking will impact generations to come. The book that I wrote will impact generations to come. The next book that's in the pipeline, it will impact generations to come. It's, it's the legacy that I'm leaving behind that, that will be able to accomplish something that I won't even be able to see in my own lifetime, which I think is, is mind boggling. Um, but I'm just trying to continue to be a, a, a part of the solution instead of being a part of the problem, continuously adding value and adding, you know, what I feel as though could, could help somebody grow and, and, and lift themselves to new heights. That is, that is a hundred percent where the inspiration comes from on a daily basis. And what advice would you give your 20 year old self? 20 year old self, man, that was only six years ago. Um, 20-year-old self, what advice? I would, I would actually, I would have told myself to start investing in myself sooner. So my mindset when I was 20 years old, I think I was a junior at that point in college. And again, my mindset was, I was just doing whatever I wanted to do at the time. I didn't really have, I didn't really have this keen in thought process of, of legacy and living in the future and knowing like what I want to build long-term. I was just basically living in the moment, right? I would tell myself, continue to invest in yourself. Don't think to yourself that you're, that you've, you've made it right. That you've, you've basically, you're there. You're, you're, you're just living from one day to the next. It's like, no man, the actions that you have today will have a huge impact five years from now. Like if I had the mindset that I have today when I was 20 years old, I'm, I'm, I'm about 99.999% sure I'd be a millionaire somewhere just because of the mindset that I have. And I know that it's now what I know it's, it's, it's being able to implement that, but I would have had a head start of six years. This would have been six years in the making instead of starting you know, back in November. <laughs> so it would have been a completely different thought process. I think my family, even today, I mean, we're not struggling by any means, but we would be so much further along. And my wife would be, I think, much closer to the goal of being able to live off of 50% of our income. Um, if, I, if I knew six years ago what I know today. <laughs> and are there any questions that you wish I would have asked you? You said, is any questions what? Are there any questions that you wish I would have asked you? No, I think you, I think you were pretty thorough, man. <laughs> I think you know everything about me at this point. And um, we probably got to figure something out for me to ask you a whole bunch of questions so I can learn more about you. <laughs> it's very one-sided at this point. So, um, but no, I don't think, I don't think is there any, there's any specific questions um, I think you did a phenomenal job. This has been awesome. I think the, the just the time being able to, to communicate again, some of my passions, some of my goals, but your willingness to just pull that out as well with your questions. Um, especially, you know, a few points in this conversation, it reminded me about some things in my past that I completely forgot about. So I, that's kudos to you for being able to actively listen in the conversation and ask questions based off of those, those comments. 
compared to just moving on to the next question. So kudos to you. This was awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this. Where can people connect with you? So primarily you want to definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm going to have the majority of, uh, of interaction where I spend a lot of my time, but although if you, if you want stuff easily to find, you can go to my YouTube channel. If you, if you're Instagram, I mean, I'm on everything. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, um, all those things I can give, you know, you all the links and stuff or any of your, uh, audience, your listeners, the people that want to actually go and connect with me, I'll, I'll give you all those things. And another place is just my website. If you want to learn more about my story, just kind of in written form, uh, you could just go to the about me page on my website, which is eddiethomason.com. And that's T H O M A S O N. A lot of people try to put the P in there. Um, it's not Thompson, it's Thomason. And, um, so that way, yeah, people can find me on those different social medias and, uh, yeah. And here's the other thing I always like to tell people, don't put me on a pedestal. If you got a question, ask me a question. Okay. Like don't, don't, don't be the person that's afraid. Like, oh man, he was on a podcast and he's like, you know, eons beyond where I am. And I'm just, you know, I love this story, but I want to learn more about him, but you scared to reach out. You'll learn that I'm, the, I'm a jolly green giant. Okay. Like I am more than willing to help. So if you reach out, um, know that it's going to be a personal message back from me. I don't, I don't do any of the bots or anything like that. Like you're going to get a message from me and I want to actually have a conversation. I'm always interested in other people's stories. And if I can help you know for sure that I'm going to figure out how to help you. Okay. Um, if, if it's not in my wheelhouse, again, we talked about having connections and being on LinkedIn. I, I probably know somebody who can, so reach out. I'm here as a resource. Um, I like to call myself a great connector, right? Sometimes I just bridge the gaps between other relationships that need to be built. Maybe that's not me that you need to build that relationship with. So reach out to any any of those social medias, um, but primarily I stay on LinkedIn. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.